Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already and please share widely with others as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. So today I have the pleasure of welcoming onto the show Naina Batra, who is the chairperson and chief executive officer of AVPN. Now AVPN are a network of donors and social good investors of all shapes and sizes. It's a leading ecosystem builder that is increasing the flow of capital into the social sector and ensuring that resources are most effectively deployed. Now, AVPN is based in Asia and it is a collaboration between donors and social funders who are based in Asia. They're active, I think, across 34 markets. They have 615 members and they have about over a hundred events annually, including during the pandemic, which is very impressive as well. So it is a collaborative of um, people who want to do good in the world. And Nina is convening all of these folks and driving forward some interesting stuff. Before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they are able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. As I mentioned a minute ago, today it's a pleasure to welcome onto the show Naina Batra, who is the chairperson and chief executive officer of AVPN. Without further ado, Naina, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you, Alberto. I am indeed very delighted to be here and really looking forward to sharing about how AVPN brings unlikely people together to to collaborate, to increase and maximize social impact across Asia. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about AVPN. What's the organization all about? So as you mentioned, Alberto, in your in your introduction, AVPN is a platform. It's a network of investors and social funders uh, who deploy capital for impact across Asia. How AVPN is different from any other kind of network is that our members deploy capital across what we like to call a continuum. So from grant-based capital all the way to impact investing, ESG investing, and sustainable investing. So our, our platform is a very broad church. It's very inclusive. It's looking to see how can you deploy the capital across your portfolio with an impact lens. So you mentioned that uh, we are active across Asia. So we don't not we not only have Asian members, but we also have global members who have an interest in uh, creating impact in Asia. So that's that's what AVPN is. We are in our tenth year of uh, existence in Asia. Congratulations. Thank you. And our sister network is the European Venture Philanthropy Association, which was set up in 2005. We were set up in 2011. 
And um, AVPN has, has really grown from strength to strength in the 10 years of its existence as Asia has prospered as well. Excellent. For, for our listeners who may not be aware, last year, a little bit over a year ago now, we had uh, Stephen Cerniels on the show. So you may want to check that out as well. He's a, he was at the time the chief executive officer of the European Venture Philanthropy Association that Naina, you just mentioned. And one of the things I, I love and I keep on reading about and learning about is the increasing strength and consequence of philanthropy in Asia. There's so much wealth being created, so many different uh, individuals coming to the conversation. Give us a little bit of a flavor for how rapidly things are changing and and what the landscape looks like in Asia. And you're based in Singapore, by the way, right? We are. We are headquartered in Singapore, but we have a presence in 16 different markets across Asia. And, you know, one of the things I was very excited about, Alberto, when you invited me to this podcast was that uh, Asia was getting, you know, reflected and represented. So as your listeners may be aware, uh, more than 60% of the world's population actually lives in Asia. But oftentimes when we are talking about philanthropy or we are talking about impact investing, it's oftentimes um, a very Western construct. And, and that's interesting because um, in the past few years, the number of billionaires that are being created in Asia is actually the, the highest number in the world. So it's, it's, um, it's, natural that philanthropic giving should also increase in Asia. And, you know, there is, uh, there has always been a tradition of giving in Asia. If you look at the global giving index, which maps retail giving uh, or individual giving, Asian countries rank very high, but there has not been much institutionalized philanthropy in Asia, unlike Europe and the United States. And, uh, in my opinion, that's actually a really good thing because then we are not bound by very strict sort of definitions about philanthropy or venture philanthropy or social investment in a particular way. People are much happier talking about the kinds of tools and the practices that they use to be more impactful, to be more strategic, rather than being typecast as a philanthropist or a venture philanthropist or an impact investor. So you see, therefore, very unlikely collaborations that happen in Asia as a result of that. So, for example, foundations will be doing impact investing and venture philanthropists start looking across the entire spectrum of grants and investments. There is a, a growing number of family offices in Asia who are looking at how can they actually put an impact lens across their entire portfolio of investments. And that is where, for us, the, the continuum of capital idea came from, because we saw our members looking at how they could best support their investments and their investee organizations on the ground. So, you know, a decade ago, an institution like AVPN would have been unheard of in Asia. But as individuals, businesses, investors and governments recognize the need to transform broken market and social service systems, ecosystem builders like ourselves have become important in trying to bring these very disparate players together towards, you know, how do we move towards maximizing um, inclusion, maximizing equity and maximizing social impact. Right. And your organization, I mean, 
I think you touched on it a second ago, but quite multi-sectoral in, in composition, right? So you have foundations, family offices, private equity, venture capital, uh, intermediaries, impact funds, you name it. There's, there's pretty much every, everyone in different shapes and sizes can have a voice. Absolutely. And, you know, again, because there, there weren't many institutionalized structures existing in Asia 10 years ago, EVPN sort of uh, expanded to fill the space wherever there was a need to explore a particular type of capital that could be deployed when philanthropists were looking at, you know, sort of expanding beyond just grant making, um, AVPN kind of became their partner. And I would like to say that we learned together. You know, we, we helped influence the sector together. And for a lot of countries in Asia, especially, scale becomes very important. So, you know, your listeners will realize that uh, we have India, we have China, and we have Indonesia, three very, very large countries that are all a part of Asia. And if you are to really look at social impact, you cannot make a difference without working with government. Because unless and until you work with government, you're not going to get scale. So in response to that, Alberto, we started the uh, policy forum, which was how do we bring private sector capital to work together with public sector money? So how do we get government to, to come in and collaborate with foundations, with high net worth individuals around social issues? And you know, that that grew really big. And, and it's it's interesting because a lot of wealth in Asia comes from business. And traditionally, business people do not like working with government. They feel that, you know, they come from almost two different worlds. But in the social space, it is very important that we have these types of collaborations. And that's why, you know, we see um, unlikely collaborations somewhat somewhat like this, that that AVPN has been able to broker. Excellent. And thematically speaking, is it the whole spectrum? What do you find about, um, yeah, I guess the particular interest that, that funders have in Asia? Are there some that are more pronounced than others? And again, I noticed on your sort of, on your website, in terms of thematic areas that are most uh, clearly defined out there, we have gender, COVID-19, climate action, and health. Um, so I can see how we're mapping these out to the SDGs, but there's loads of other aspects of it that aren't referenced there. Just curious, are there, are there some thematic areas that are more pronounced than others? So I would say about 60% of our membership actually fund education. Mm -hmm. And about, you know, 50% would be interested in health, which is kind of typical for, for global trends in philanthropy as well, where most philanthropists, especially those who are starting out, start with uh, funding education, start with funding healthcare programs, a lot of them in their own communities. But, you know, you mentioned the SDGs, and we are less than 10 years away from 2030, which is when... Um, you know, governments have indicated that they would like to achieve the SDGs. And the reason for us to choose gender, climate and health became very important when we looked at where Asian countries were vis-a-vis -vis achieving these SDGs. And unfortunately, with regards to gender and SDG 5, Asia has actually gone backwards rather than forwards. And for us, that became the kind of... Um, tipping point to really, um, you know, increase the spotlight on gender. 
unless and until we look at a more gender equal society we're not going to really have economic progress we're not going to see education metrics becoming uh, you know bigger and more more sort of more impactful we're not going to see health metrics being achieved so for us gender became extremely key to everything that we were looking at uh, at achieving so we launched the gender platform last year in fact with a with a signature initiative called the asia gender network which is a a a, a collaborative of high net worth asian women who are looking to be role models and champions for girls in their communities across i believe it is now 15 countries in asia so these are you know women who have succeeded despite the fact that they have grown up or they've been born in countries where you know to be a woman or to be a girl you struggle to be born you struggle to get educated you struggle to get a nutritious meal you struggle to choose who you will get married to you struggle to have a career so these women came together to really foster a movement that looks at an equal asia for girls so you know it's it's looking at it in the asian way but looking at how do we how do we create a more gender equal society that is also um in tune with asian values so that is why we pick gender in terms of climate action i'll i'll be quick alberto the reason is that we have the biggest climate disasters in the world in asia and it was not getting the kind of attention that we thought philanthropists need to provide to look at tackling climate change so hence we created a climate action platform that again crosses boundaries crosses uh, borders and looks at bringing these different different groups of people together around climate action and climate action never really gets the funding it should at least certainly right now if we're talking about philanthropy at a global level it's only 2 mm-hmm. or 3 if you're generous nudging up to 3% of of global philanthropy goes to climate which is mind boggling when you're saying you launched a platform then so a platform on gender a platform on climate what does that mean what is a platform so a platform basically keeps the thematic focus and looks at aggregating members across the avpn network who are committed to fund in that particular thematic area so for gender what we try and do is aggregate not just philanthropists who are interested in funding gender issues but we also highlight organizations that are working in the area of gender who these philanthropists can potentially support we also highlight research in one area in one place we bring together um, you know different research different insights different analysis so that you're not recreating the wheel you know the number of landscape studies and the number of mapping studies that come out year on year if we just have all this data aggregated on one on one place in one site um i think it will make the lives and the jobs of philanthropists a lot easier mm. now i notice you have a knowledge center you have an academy love to find out a little bit more about these so again for us it was very important that we don't recreate the wheel we have a large number of universities that are our members so our knowledge center looks at number one curating the research that is already there and you know providing it in a easy uh, to access uh, manner for our members 
The other thing that our knowledge center does is actually aggregate practitioner insights. So there is, there is academic research, which has tremendous value, but then there are practitioner insights of people who are actually doing um, and, and the lessons that they have learned while they are doing, which other philanthropists, people who are just entering this field can really benefit from. So a lot of our focus is, is on practitioner-led research. And the academy is about imparting practitioner insights to um, you know the, the ecosystem as a whole. So I'll give you an example. We're running a couple of fellowships right now and all the speakers are practitioners. They're either foundation leaders or they're high net worth individuals or they're people who do actual impact evaluation who are talking about their experiences on the ground. And we find that this is a good way for both people who are just entering philanthropy, who are just starting out, as well as those who are in a career around you know, doing a professional role, whether it's managing a foundation or heading a CSR function in a corporate to actually share insights, but also learn from their peers. So that's what both the academy and the knowledge center does. Now, in terms of the, the contributors to that knowledge, you mentioned diverse stakeholders, whether it's a philanthropist or, or a program director and so forth. Um, what, um, what is your membership base look like? So who are the people or organizations who actually join you? Is it at the CEO level? Can somebody join you irrespective of their their role within a particular organization? Give us a flavor for how, that process. You know, how does somebody join you? So uh, Alberto, that's a really good question. So for us in the network, we have organizations who are our members. So it is not an individual. So even when it's an high net worth individual, usually she or he joins from their family office um, or their foundation. Um, usually it is the CEO of the foundation who is, uh, who is attending or representing the foundation. But we often have several members from that particular organization who come to our events. You talked about the fact that we do 100 plus events across the year. Actually, it's, it's more than 100 this past year and a half with the, with the pandemic. We've been doing everything virtually. And uh, in fact, literally organize, I think it's more, almost an event every two days. So uh, our events are open to um, pretty much anybody from the particular organization that might be our member. But oftentimes, uh, the speakers tend to be more senior professionals or CEOs or wealth holders who are sharing the reasons they have made particular choices. Why are they funding in a particular way? What are the lessons that they have learned? How did they choose to you know, really look at expanding their philanthropy to their investment portfolio? So those are the kinds of questions that we believe will help shape both the sector and the ecosystem in Asia. Mm. Do you also have collectives joining you? I'm thinking, for instance, of the likes of Co-Impact or some of these organizations that bring together philanthropists and not just act as a convening platform, but actually might be involved in managing the, the impact evaluation, the funding, the whole back office, as it were. Um, do you have folks like that engaged with you? 
Absolutely. CoImpact is a member and a, and a valued member at that, as is the Global Innovation Fund. So we do have, a, we have about 70 impact funds as well, who are our members. And, you know, CoImpact is a great example of a, of a collaborative fund that has come together of several funders uh, coming together to pool their philanthropic efforts. And we, in fact, um, earlier this year, in, in response to the pandemic, launched our first pooled philanthropic fund, which has six organizations that have come together to give unrestricted operating expenses grants to healthcare organizations that are involved in last mile delivery. And, you know, we've just, you and I have both just read about McKinsey Scott and her fabulous, um, you know, uh, grant making of uh, $2.8 billion, again, towards um, operating expenses, uh, unrestricted grants. It is my very strong belief that unless philanthropy gives unrestricted fundings, we are not helping the nonprofits on the ground become brave. And, you know, as a philanthropist, what is the biggest gift we can give a nonprofit? We can give them the ability to be innovative, the ability to be courageous, the ability to be brave, to look for solutions to some of the most complex problems that the world faces. And the more we can do that, the more we can give them the freedom to really grow, to really build their own capacity. That's when we can really maximize impact. So the two pooled funds that AVPN has launched are launched on the principles of uh, unrestricted operating expenses grants. What are those funds called? So we have a pooled, uh, a philanthropic pooled fund, uh, a Southeast Asia philanthropic pooled fund on healthcare. Uh, and we have six organizations, uh, including the Gates Foundation, uh, Johnson & Johnson. We have um, uh, Macquarie Bank. We have uh, VTOL Foundation. We have Sequoia. And we have uh, Chevron, who have come together to pool their money towards uh, supporting healthcare organizations across Southeast Asia. We have another one that KKR has partnered with us. So you'll see these are very interesting organizations that have actually come together to, to look at pooling their philanthropic efforts. Uh, very interesting organizations, very big balance sheets, very recognized names. I think the likes of Johnson & Johnson, we had Ben Davis on the show. Uh, they're doing some remarkable stuff. Um, out of curiosity, how do you manage those funds? So you're not a financial institution as well, but you mentioned uh, some financial institutions there. How do you manage, do you just go to a bank and say, look, we want to set this up. Can you help us do it? Do some of these funders themselves uh, who might be financial institutions go ahead and do that for you? So we have set up actually, it's since it's a philanthropic fund, Alberto, it's a lot easier. So it's it's a pooled philanthropic fund with a with a grants committee and an operating committee. And in fact, um, we have been supported by a couple of our members. There's one called the Majority Ta Trust in in Singapore. That's that's a pooled uh, uh, philanthropic fund that actually works with high net worth individuals rather than organizations. So we did a little bit of learning from them. We learned from CoImpact. We went and talked to the Global Innovation Fund and um, and set it up. Um, I think because it's it's philanthropic capital, um, a lot of organizations are are interested in coming together. And I, I also found it very, very um, 
revealing that they are a lot more open to taking risks in a pooled environment mm. rather than when they're doing their own individual grant making so i think macquarie foundation has a lot more uh, you know sort of um, strictures in terms of the grants it gives versus the grants it's making through our pooled fund yeah no that's fascinating stuff that's really really interesting what's the um What's the thing that you're really excited about right now? What's keeping you up at night, if there is such a thing, um, that you think, wow, if we pull this off, it'll be really cool? So, you know, as we turned 10, I started really thinking about the kind of impact that AVPN should be having and the kind of impact I wanted AVPN to have. And I really feel we are in a unique position in time, especially post the pandemic, when I think it's important we look at what are the transformative things we can do. You know, Asia's wealth, as we discussed earlier in this podcast, is really going through the roof. But the amount of inequality that exists in Asia is also huge. So what do we do that, you know, in the next sort of decade, we really turn around the story of Asia from being an economic powerhouse to being an economic and inclusive powerhouse? And how can we as a network ensure that the voices of the most marginalized, the voices that are least heard, are brought to the same decision-making table as the philanthropists as the ultra high net worth individuals. So what I'm excited about is actually doing more of these collaborations with unlikely actors, with actually bringing to the table both kind of sides of the of the spectrum, the ones that are actually working on the ground and the ones that are actually helping finance them. Because if you really look at it, Alberto, if, if I was a philanthropist, right, without having the organizations, the nonprofits on the ground do the amazing work that they do, what do I have to call to my name about being a philanthropist? So I exist because they are. So it's really important that we bring these two players together on the same table. And that's what AVPN is going to look at doing over the next 10 years. And I think without doing that, it'll be very difficult for us to meet the SDGs in Asia. You know, there's so much you said there that that, that prompts questions, um, good questions. And one of them is just regarding the fact that occasionally you have foundations that are both um, grant makers and operating foundations. So I'm curious to see whether you have many of those folks running around because those are the, the two parts of the equation. And the other one, you touched on it, which is the inclusivity piece. Um, and I'm curious, so obviously you, you touched on gender uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, child marriage is a topic that, that, that you, you raised uh, indirectly. And I'm wondering whether with the nascent philanthropy that you have in Asia, were there any cultural norms that, that prevail within the region manifest themselves within the thinking of these philanthropies and consequently things like SDG 5 on gender equity uh, may, may be more challenging to tackle. I'm just curious to see the mindset um, about that. And that's, that's probably more than half an hour conversation, but I'm really curious about it. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's, it's important, especially when we're talking about gender and we're talking about SDG 5. Um, when we're talking about gender and you, you know, I think gender and the feminist movement and looking at inclusivity, looking at creating a more um, gender equal society 
is they are they are they are all part of the same equation but it's how you address it how do you handle it given the cultural norms that exist and a lot of asian foundations while they really believe in gender equality are very wary of terms like feminism of terms you know that are that are looking at um, at sort of almost militizing or you know introducing a uh, uh, um, almost militant edge to the debate and they and they really do shy away from that and even about the asian gender network that i that i mentioned to you earlier which is you know ultra high net worth women that are coming together to champion the cause of gender in asia for a lot of them um you know they they come from ultra high net worth families but they don't run their family businesses because they are not male and they do realize that they recognize that but in spite of that they feel that their families are supporting them to create a more gender inclusive society but within the parameters of the cultural um sort of context that exists so i think it's 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 how you sort of frame the language how you address the debate i think in asia it's it's instead of being um sort of more argumentative or more aggressive it's about cajoling about taking a, a you know taking the other person along with you about kind of you know the soft power that you can have over the other person to get your point across so i think there is an asian way but having said that i think achieving sdg 5 is non negotiable and i think when you talk to pretty much everybody in asia they all believe that this is something we need to work together as a collective so i think the the will to to try and resolve the gender issues that exist across the region is very very strong it's it's the mechanism that you use to do it may sometimes be a little bit different from the one our western counterparts use hmm. how did you get into all of this i always like to ask our guests how did you end up where you are today Um I don't know you know and I look back I think it was um, it 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 sort of just happened so I I moved to Singapore in 2013 and prior to that I was working with Monitor which was a strategy consulting firm that unfortunately um doesn't exist today but when i was working with monitor i was working with them in india in in a in a mission driven unit called monitor inclusive markets that really looked at how you could create business models at the base of the pyramid so you know businesses these were looking at social enterprises as what they are called today that looked at providing goods and services to the to the bottom of the pyramid and till then i had no idea that you even had a term you know like a social enterprises uh, or a social entrepreneur and uh, you had these fascinating models that we studied uh, around low cost housing uh, low cost education low cost healthcare looking at how women were employed and uh, and to me that was very very interesting and when i moved to singapore um, i got asked uh, or rather head hunted to to head up avpn and at that point alberto i thought to myself that why do i want to lead a network where is where is the the social impact in that but i you know boy was i proved wrong in this in the last 8 years that i've been ceo 
I've learned so much about Asian philanthropy. And, you know, it's literally, I've seen it grow around me. And, uh, you know, every country, whether you're talking about Japan, which really didn't have a culture of, uh, of local philanthropy, didn't have a culture of local CSR, um, you know, the earthquake in Fukushima really changed that, whether you look at Korea and how they are looking at doing cross-border philanthropy. And, you know, they've, they've moved from being, um, a, you know, a, uh, receiving donations to a, a donor country where they're actually giving uh, aid to other countries in uh, in Asia, whether you look at Thailand, where, you know, education is a big issue, whether where reading skills are a big issue and how philanthropists are looking at addressing that, whether you look at India, where there's a huge um, history of, of civil society, a very engaged civil society that is, you know, almost under attack uh, from, from government. And how does philanthropy philanthropy react to that? How does philanthropy look at protecting that? I think it's been a fascinating journey. <laughs> it sounds like it. it. Sounds like it. In terms of success for the next 10 years for, for AVPN? So I think in terms of success over over the you know the next 10 years as I as I told you it's 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 very there is a lot more opportunity to deploy capital towards you know the complex needs on the ground the the fact is that there's a huge gap even before the covid-19 pandemic there was a financing gap of more than 1.5 trillion US dollars required per year to meet the SDGs in Asia Pacific alone. So this gap has only widened. You know, one of the things, one of the heartbreaking things about this pandemic is that even in a country like India, more than 75 million people have been pushed back into poverty. How do we address that? How does philanthropy address that? We do not have you know, as many established philanthropic infrastructure that 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 you guys do in the West. But how can we innovate? How can we move much faster? How can we kind of bridge these divides to to really look at addressing some of these issues and making sure that Asia is more inclusive? That's what AVPN is going to be doing. That's what we're going to be using our platform for. That sounds great. Let me ask you for a key takeaway. What's that one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? So I think in a time where individualism and extreme nationalistic sentiments, you know, are running high, doesn't matter which which part of the world we are in. I think it's let's take the time to recognize acts of collaboration. I think that's the takeaway. Perfect. Perfect. Couldn't think of a better takeaway. That sounds wonderful. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you for making the time. I know you're always very busy. You've been listening to Naina Batra, chairperson and chief executive officer of AVPN, who's normally based in Singapore, but today joined us from India. Thank you, Naina. Thank you, Alberto. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and I'll see you next week.